Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Hey, hey, we're back again. Hello. Chuck and Bob. So, Hello, Mike. Um, Hello, Bob. You know, and Mike behind the board with a microphone. Watch Hello, out. everybody. Hello. <laughs> so... <laughs> So one of the things that comes up from time to time is the 12-step role in the recovery world, right? So Aloe is a place that, that you know, I started with Evan and Jared, these two friends of mine. And though we're, we come from the 12-step world, I taught them about ASAM criteria. And ASAM says that's not the only solution. There's a pharmacological, medically managed care solution. There's a psychoanalytic solution. There's a spiritual solution. And there's a 12-step solution, right? So that's what we do. We've never been in the controversy where we're selling not, you know, like the passages, you know, the one out there, we don't do AA. It's, it's, you do, you do it if you're it's really in the adverse, deck. it's available. If right. you're adverse to right. it, I want to talk about it. Anything that a drug addict is averse to, that's the first thing I want to talk about. Why are you averse to it? Oh, well, I went one time and I don't like it. Oh, well, that's not very good reason. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. and I think sometimes, you know, people, it's a strange thing. I, I think that people misinterpret what I say a lot. I'm in the 12-step world, and but but I don't think it's for everybody. And I don't think it's in, even for some of the people that are in it. You know what I mean? I think they should move on to religion. I think join, that's well said. They well should said. join Scientology or something where they can really get down to brass tacks. But anyways, I want to have a show about gratitude because I, I live in... Here's the strange thing. I have this public persona where I talk and I complain or I say outrageous things because that's a part of my personality. I grew up idolizing Johnny Rotten and Keith Levine and The Clash, and it's to fucking throw think bombs out into the world. Think bombs, not stink bombs. <laughs> think bombs. Right. To think. Think about things. And this is, you know, the 80s was a much better era to throw think bombs into. Oh, yeah. Right now, think bombs are not popular. They're, you know, so... so one thing I wanted people to know, I live in gratitude every fucking day. I live with the person of my dreams and with children who I adore and idolize. Last night I went to the Lakers Clippers game with my older son, Elijah. We had a wonderful time. We talked about, I'm so proud of him. He got his own cool place. He's working so hard. He's got the ups and downs of any millennial, but I felt so close to him last night. I have gratitude all the time. I don't want to sit around and bum people out with it. I think going through life bragging about how great your life is, is a bummer. So I thought we'd have a, a, art, a, a, a podcast about gratitude. And I looked up the definition. Gratitude is the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for, and return kindness. Ah. Uh. Ah. That's one of those things where people, you know, that's said a lot where I go is that gratitude's an action. And that just defined that as an action, the, returning kindness. The, to show appreciation for and to return kindness. Right. There's so, the action. So, you know, and, you, and, and when you're living in it, like I just wake up in the morning, I'm like, holy fuck. How did someone as selfish and stupid and, and drug addicted and still as mentally ill as me, figure out how to live 
kind of halfway right. And that that living halfway right leads to waking up in the morning going, this is awesome. This is fucking awesome. You know what I mean? I'm talking about halfway right. Because I don't do 75% of the shit that people do to have a be all right. I told my friend that I took both kids to Disneyland today, and he go. He wrote. He finally texted back. You've lost your fucking mind. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? yeah, that, that was a bigger undertaking than you thought it was going to be. Oh but, my but, god! But you know, you it, know worked, the, it worked the out. The baby pooping was a big undertaking. Here's the thing about about speaking of gratitude. How are your fingernails? Did you get so, it under your no, fingernails? No, but but here's the thing. They have those air blower things, right? She freaks the fuck out when she hears them. So you can't take her into a bathroom to change her. You have to change her like somewhere within Disneyland where there's not too many people. (laughs) I I managed to find an old, it's a dead end. You know when you go from, from, I think it's like by the carousel and you can walk around by the boat. And there's that canyony area. Okay, but your story where you go through the whale's mouth, that one? Oh, around the other way. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think you go that way and it turns into like Rocky Mountains, mm-hmm. like where yeah. the where the where the train is. It used train. to be the barbecue and the and the petting zoo. Yeah, yeah. So so we go down there and I'm I can tell like we gotta do something about this diaper. You know, part of me is like, let's just ignore it for two more hours and get her home, right? But so we go over to this other area, and it's a dead end. There's like a dead end area. Nice. Put her down really fast. Boom, boom, boom. Then I'm holding, and it's kind of leaking on my hand because it was leaking out the side of the diaper for you moms and dads at home. And I realized like, oh, my God, I got to get this out of my hand immediately. And there was no trash can on the dead end. Now, you're talking about, like, I've still got Elvis going, come on, come on, we got to go. And I'm pushing a baby <laughs> stroller. I got a fucking one-and-a-half-year-old crawling on the ground with her new diaper with a handful of poop diaper, and the trash can is many, many places, many miles away. So I just kind of put it behind a tree. <laughs> like any good junkie would do. And then, and then, and then. But then I start thinking there's fucking cameras everywhere here. They're going to fucking find us. Yeah, and they're going to take away your passes. (laughs) Then in my crazy alcoholic mind, I was like, what is the fine for leaving a dirty poop diaper behind a tree at Disneyland? And I figured $500 is the most that it is. And then in (laughs) my mind, I figured... $500 $500 was worth getting that poop out of my hand. Oh, no. It was. Because yeah. we would have to go back up the dead end street, which was like, you know, like 100 yards, then down, all the while walking, pushing a baby stroller with the one hand filled with poop, right? And you got to understand, Sydney will not go in the bathroom. As soon as you try to go in a bathroom with her, she starts screaming and crying because of those blowers. Those blowers are so loud. Have you ever thought about that? Have you had that with your I kids? Had a, no, I didn't have that. Your problem. kids are totally cool with the blowers? Well, the 27-year-old is. <laughs> no, but when they were three, were they cool yeah, no, with it? I, I don't. I haven't had a problem with it. With Mike, them. have you ever had the girls scared of the blowers? They're no, so no. fucking loud. No, I know they're loud. I just... It, I'm loud too, so they're used to it probably. Maybe maybe you gotta get get a kid. Maybe growing up here in this rural, tranquil, quiet. It's really environment, quiet out here. It's yeah. very calming. Maybe we need to get her into the city and then she can handle <laughs> the blowers. But anyways, I, I live I live in thankfulness and trying to return that that 
that to whatever, like, how did I end up like this? I don't know. I thought you'd explain your version of it, Chuck, because it's important for people that are, that are a year or two or three sober, that their life still isn't that great, that you know, like, I didn't feel this way, you know, till I was maybe eight years, 10 years sober. I mean, I, you're just dealing with everyday life's every day. You get little glimpses of gratitude where you're just so thankful, but that you just live in it is the promises, right? Right. The promises are in the first 164 pages. Well, that actually is part of it, right? The, um, you know, the idea that when people, uh, people that aren't like me, when, and whenever we're in discussions, they go, oh, they say things all backwards to me. They say things like, you mean you haven't been able to drink for 20 years? Because yeah, they see it so differently. They, they see it as like a punishment to not be able to drink or not be able to do drugs. Where for me, that's the reward is that I didn't have to today. I didn't wake up and have to get loaded. I didn't wake up today and have to drink. And that is one of the, the biggest payoffs of working in recovery. Because I see that face-to-face every day, people with one day through 90 days. So I see that struggle, and I see people leave. Where's where's this guy? He's gone. He got loaded. No, but gratitude starts, well, it always was with me, and it is with tens of thousands of people I've been dealing with all these years. You really get grateful once you're done detoxing. There's a real gratitude there. It's real. It's tangible. But then reality creeps in the next week or two. No, yeah, then well then there's a whole lot of but why are you doing this to me? Don't you know I'm sober? You know, you get that sort of attitude where why can't they get off my back? Don't they know I'm not I'm not loaded anymore? Well, you know, you still made a mess. There's still stuff to clean up and there's still life going on. Sorry, their life's still in session. But the fact that it's really simple for me and that is that I I I don't I don't have to destroy myself today doing what I was doing. Do you, do you, um, do you still take cakes? Um, figuratively, yes. Literally, no. My, my, uh, my beach meeting doesn't, we don't do cakes, but. I haven't, I haven't done a cake since I was 14 years sober, eight years ago. I just think it's discouraging because you, because if you get up there and talk about gratitude, it's just so alienating. That's why I wanted to really talk about gratitude and what happens through this process, Right. So when I was two years sober, if somebody told me to fuck off, I wanted to kill them, right? When I was eight years sober, if somebody told me to fuck off, I'd see, I'd think, poor bastard, he should kill himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When, I, when you're 22 years sober and you tell, somebody tells you to fuck off, you're like, yeah, probably, probably I should. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just flexible with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll think about fucking yeah. off later, yeah. maybe. <laughs> I, I, I totally understand. I can be very alienating. I can be very, I'm not your cup of tea. I'm under your skin, and I don't want to be that person. So I'm going to go fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Good point. I've been meaning to do that. <laughs> right? That's being of service. Right? But... You know, I don't, I don't, I just really don't know how to inspire people to realize how great abstinence, 12 step, whatever you want to call it. Because, you know, a lot of people are on Suboxone and smoking weed. And, you know, I was talking with my son last night. He's got a friend that's on Suboxone and smoking weed. And, and, he says he's two years sober. And I was like, that is the new sober. No, it is. 
I know, but why? Why not? I'm on maintenance. But, but you know, young people—they just have different versions of it, right? I think it's better than dying of oxycontin. And if you want to say you're sober, what does it matter to me? I don't care. But, but I'm here to speak about true sobriety. What it's like to not drink or take drugs or or take I haven't even taken any medicine for any teeth things or hurt myself. I have had no mind altering drugs for 22 years, right? Right. It's like being on acid when you think about it. It's crazy. Yeah. So and through that process and I think just through that living of that of that of living year after year day after day not drinking and not taking drugs, not taking not getting you know, teeth implants because I don't want to take that medicine. That's why I have all these holes in my teeth. I don't want to take medicine. And and every time I've ever approached somebody who's going to do the implants, they're like, you're going to have to take some sort of medicine. You're not going to be able to bear it. I said, what if I rent a hotel and stay away from my family? I'll just fucking deal with it. I'll fucking deal with it. They won't even, they just think you're crazy. Because I, I just don't, it's not that I think if I take OxyContin or whatever it is they give you for implants that that um, it, that that will make me go take heroin. I don't think that's true. I don't want to experience that. I want to experience fucking reality every second of every day that I'm awake till the end. Uh, you know what I mean? I do because I like it. It's like being on acid, especially when you know that 20% of the population is wasted all the time. I was at Disneyland this morning thinking, I wonder how many people here are just fucking wasted. And I was looking, I was looking. Yeah. It was like 11 in the morning. And you can see people, especially the young kids that got the, there's like, you know, 18, 19 year old kids that are wearing the Jack Skellington shit. They are so <laughs> stoned on pot. It's fucking crazy. At 11 in the morning, wake and bake and go to Haunted Mansion. But, you know, that's an escapism that I did, and I don't want to do it anymore. There's, it's really crazy just to live life, right? It's, that's sad to watch the people that are just on, on the, um, you know what, I don't even want to, I don't even want to go that way because that, that's, I'm going to be, I'm going to be sounding judgy because there's so many people that are medicated that don't need to be. And I'm grateful that I'm not one of them. Let's just put it that way. Well, we I'm need glad to, but I, what I'm trying to I'm do it, is talk about how great it is to be sober. You're kind of tongue-tied right now. Well, You're always, you, you know, last couple of podcasts, I'm very critical of the 12-step world. We've gotten into it, very heated. You're very vocal when defending 12-step world. Talk about what it's like, what the rewards of the 12-step world are. You're a little tongue-tied. You're well, a little no, quiet. Then, I, then, then I'm grateful that I did. Are you, are you embarrassed to talk about how good it is? I think people are. I don't, you know, that's one of those things that I don't talk about a lot, right? Because it's kind of weird. It's like saying, Why? My, my marriage is so good. I'm sorry your marriage sucks, you know, or whatever. It's kind of what it sounds like when people are saying, because... I don't. Hey, listen, I'm not saying that it's perfect and you walk through the raindrops. I woke, you know, I wake up this morning, the kids are, the kids teething and the, the wife is fucking, doesn't want to get up and, and it's chaos. And then Elvis wants to be on little nightmares first thing in the morning at six o'clock in the morning. He wants to be on a violent video game. And I'm like dealing with it all. Right. It wasn't pleasant. It was a drag. But within that drag, there's a higher understanding of, isn't this rad? This is fucking rad. I'm in charge of like two human beings. 
that I'm supposed to be like deciding what's good for them, what's bad for them, how to how to how to teach, how to how to model. Yeah. No, I have that. I have those moments a lot with my with my younger kid all the time. All the time, I'll, I'll say, you know what, this is one of those moments I want to hold on to. And those are things I didn't have. Those are great big moments where I feel stuff that I didn't know I'd ever feel. Those are big deals. Sometimes I get taken back. And I'm really grateful that there weren't people around telling me I needed to be on Suboxone. I'm really glad there weren't people around that, I, that said I have um, crippling depression or I have crippling anxiety and got me strung out on other meds when I was brand new that I'm seeing so much of right now. I had a 14-year-old kid tell me the other day that they had anxiety. I said, where'd you learn that word? Where'd you learn that word? Uh, I'm just, I, I'm so glad that I don't have to, that I'm not on the, the, the Xanax, which Benzo, or the Prozac, or, or you know, I'm so glad that I'm not medicated. I am so glad that I'm able to see, think, hear, taste, touch, things the way they're supposed to be, or actually the way they actually are. But is it, let's get into this, because this is, this to me is a boring podcast. Because and, and Mike wants to talk about recovery. It's fucking boring. You either don't want to talk about it because you don't know how to talk about the rewards of being sober for years and years. Or it seems like bragging, like what you're describing. So what the fuck are you supposed to talk about? I'm saying my life is as miserable as yours is loaded. But I live in a state of grace and understanding of gratitude for it. That's what I'm talking about. This is really sophisticated stuff that is not for dumb people. You understand? I'm not saying my kids don't cry. I'm not saying my kids don't get colds and give me pneumonia and I'm I'm in the hospital overnight. I'm not saying that life doesn't happen. I'm just saying that I'm living sober in it. The longer you do that, the more existential and weird it seems and becomes. And too often it seems like bragging, like my life is, my car doesn't break. I had to go an emergency, a psychotic patient out of their minds on drugs, right? On Monday night, right? I'm driving there. My car starts overheating. Like, and the people are waiting there for me to come and save the day. And my car's overheating. I glided down the the street I was on. (coughs) Pulled into a gas station, bought two half gallons of water, kept pouring it in. There's something broken. It wasn't a hose. It was like on the engine itself. I'm just pouring water in, trying to get to this thing. I drive 15 miles doing that, stopping every three miles, putting water in, stopping and getting people's garden hoses, filling up the two half gallon things. Get to the thing. Do you think the people cared what I went through? No. I fucking went there. I dealt with the situation. Then, you know, and, and then at the end of it, they were like, <coughs> are you parked in the parking structure? I said, no, by chance I'm parked about a mile from here because my car overheated. And they're like, oh, okay, you need a ride there? And I was like, I think I need a ride a lot further than to there. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> so then a friend of mine who has friends with the guy, uh, he... Um, he goes, oh, well, I got to, you know, I can't drive you to Claremont. And I was like, oh, no. And then we're trying to figure it out. And I said, you know what? Just drive me to a, 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 a AMPM or something. I'm going to buy like 10 gallons of water. And that's what I did. I drove all the way back from Los Angeles to Claremont, stopping every three miles on the side of the 10 freeway and putting water in the car oh, until right. I got it here. 
Now, I say that story because I'm not saying shit like that doesn't happen. I'm just saying shit like that happens and it doesn't sit with me and bother me and I don't care. I just want to get home. Whatever. You just, yeah, you just do it. Bad. When that used to happen to me when I was loaded, I would be like a victim for weeks and months and talk about it to everybody who would listen about how fucked up it is and Anthony's super rich and I'm poor and I my car breaks down all the time. Remember, just, uh, remember your old Chevy truck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. do the same thing. <laughs> it didn't really matter if it broke down after you <laughs> copped dope. I mean, if you could get to where if you, you could get to where you were going. It was fine, but boy, if it broke down before you cop the dope. That's I, I've always had this pension for trucks that I gave up in sobriety. I always, for some reason, this guy that lived on my block when I was a kid in the 60s had an old pickup truck with a Corvette engine in it, right? And it would he would burn rubber down the street, and I love the smell of the tires and whatever. It's just like almost erotic that thing right <laughs> so i've always had this obsession with trucks with big engines in them and so when mike and i were in our band together i had this old apache pickup with a big 327 engine in it never ran right the engine vibrated the car so much it made it fall apart <laughs> constantly yeah. falling apart but it was the only car we had to cop in unless we took the monster van which was a giant bread giant truck. Giant bread truck. Oh, and so that was really hard. It would only go like 58 miles an hour. You nice. know what I mean? And you're just, we've copped though in the monster van, right? Yes, we Many did. times, if that was the only thing. But we take my, my Chevy and it would vibrate. The engine would vibrate the thing so much that the radiator hose would come off the radiator. Jesus. Right? So then you'd think I learned my lesson in sobriety. No, as soon as I got sober and I had money, I bought another, a yellow truck. Mike, I don't know if you remember that one I had I when I lived it. on Boylston. Same fucking thing. It would break all the time. I must have put five grand into that fucking thing, just trying to fix it from You know the people that have those cars? Yeah, I do. They're really, not me. They're not practical. They don't have air conditioning. They don't run. They break every three weeks, right? But they are badass. Right? Yeah. Little tiny steering wheel, hearse shifter on the floor. No, my car gets me from one place to another. That's really all it does. But but anyways, the point I'm making is it's not that shit doesn't happen. It's just that you live in a in a in a in a different plane of it. Does that make any sense? And it's really hard to describe. So I think a lot of people that are living that life don't express it, don't share it. And I think it's important to know, shit happens to me. I had a horrible divorce five years ago. It was fucking devastating. I wanted to kill myself. The only thing that kept me alive was Elvis. And I made it through that. And now it transcends, right? That's what you're supposed to share with people, not get a book, do this, fucking shut your mouth, whatever. You're supposed to be able to express gratitude, and I, I live it every day. I woke up. I still have a cold. I'm still sick. I fuck it. I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's the other thing is I don't have to throw. I, I used to say all the time that I love living in chaos. And it's been a long time since I've enjoyed chaos. When things go sideways, I look for solutions. And um, I like an uneventful day, man. I like I like when when there's not a hitch, but it doesn't it doesn't throw me off I, I don't i don't get dramatic or hyster, uh, hysterical about things going sideways because that's part of life 
But that's something I learned that took time. I don't know if that's you know what's interesting. Here's the thing. You know how they used to say when we were new, um, try doing something good for somebody and don't tell anybody about it. Right. That has evolved for me to try to have shit fucking go sideways and fucked up and don't even mention it. Just deal with it and fucking have the rest of your day or go to the next meeting or come home and have dinner and don't even fucking mention it because it doesn't matter. You know, that, it's behind you. That is, that's a way of living in gratitude for me. Not sharing my misery, not, not bringing people into commiseration with me and, and then trying to... Um, get sympathy some sort of some sort of benefit from it and bring other people down in the process that's not living in gratitude i just and that gets back to my facebook leaving facebook i just try to express opinions i wanted to have a dialogue right you can't (laughs) no you You just can't so the (laughs) only thing you can do is say boohoo something bad happened to me and everybody goes oh poor thing oh bummer man bummer so that's the way we've become a society that communicates we communicate fake empathy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I've been talking about it with addicts forever. Don't mistake pity for empathy, right? I think that a lot of addicts nowadays, there's a lot of what looks like empathy for addicts or compassion towards addicts with what's going on in Ohio and Pennsylvania and New Hampshire, right? Everybody dying. I think it's pity. I don't think it's compassion. I don't think it's empathy because you know why? Nobody's doing a fucking thing about it. Yeah, it's it's not changing. It's so, not it's not getting better yet. That's it's, it's blowing me away that it's not getting better yet. It's if, not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. You know, it's a strange thing. Uh, the TV show I'm doing, right? We tried to pitch it to. Uh, I won't even say the name of the company because I don't want to get sued or people talking shit about it. But there's a company that delivers a lot of stuff. Let's put it that way. And they also have a media (laughs) company, right? They are now, they already got into food delivery, and they are now going to get into prescription (laughs) drug delivery. Okay. So when we pitched the show to them, they were like, eh, really doesn't fit with where we're going as (laughs) an overall company. Because they're going to be bringing the Suboxone to you overnight. Then you don't have to leave the house at all. Yeah. It's crazy. So, um, isn't that crazy? Imagine that behemoth of a delivery system bringing drugs to your front door. You're going to drone it. <laughs> drone, <laughs> drone drugs to your house. How about that, Mike? Uh-huh. Would you love it if back in the 80s we could get Frenchie to drone coke and heroin to Disgraceland from up on Franklin? Wouldn't that have been great? Oh, that's, Just wait that's for the drone idea. to come. With heroin and cocaine raining out of the sky. Do you think we're, that people are doing that right now? Well, no. The, he's referring to the company I'm referring to, but, but, but not naming No, them. but I'm specifically talking about like what Hoy does, you know, with the drone and everything. Can you deliver yeah, drugs? Yeah, you can home? deliver drugs like Could that. You? Yeah, does, why not? Is anybody doing that? Is anybody on that? Because it's You know, a great the thing idea. about drones, we I have two of them because a friend of mine has a drone company and he's given Elvis two of them. They get more sophisticated every couple of years. Elvis is the only one that knows because it hooks up to your iPad. Like, I don't really know how to do it. So if we were going to deliver drugs via drone, we would have to have a (laughs) seven-year-old who knows how the drone iPod interaction thing works. And there's plausible deniability on the part of the seven-year-old. So ain't no one going to jail. Yeah. Hey, Elvis, send this over. (laughs) Send this over to so-and-so's house at this address. 
I bet you he'd be able to figure it out. We should test it, Mike. The drone is here somewhere. I have, no, I have like the sophisticated drone. Let's do it next podcast. I know. As we'll immoral and, and like fucked up as that thinking is, it's like, it, that would be so great to have like a little bucket on the end of a drone <laughs> and you could fucking, and you could just fly over like, hey, I'll meet you on this corner and you could just fly the drone over from a block away. And, you could never they, get caught that way. Yeah. You could never the, get caught. Dope, yeah. Here's it. Put the money prove in the it. bucket. Yeah. Prove, drone prove it. flies away. You take your dope. But, but, it, but getting back to the thing, like, so now... You know, you have to go to Walgreens and CVS. Think about how you used to have to go to the bookstore, right? Because that's where this company became famous from, delivering books directly to your door, right? Mm -hmm. And they're excellent at it. So now they're going to deliver the prescription drugs directly to your door. How about that? How about that? Fantastic. Now, I, if I was CVS or Rite Aid or, or Walgreens, I'd be nervous because that company has destroyed other whole industries. Well, right. I, yeah, and it, it will too. Why would you go to a store unless you're a retired person and that's the only thing you do is go to CVS or Walgreens four or five times a week or whatever? You go to the post office one day and CVS the next day, and you only want five days worth of your dope. I was <laughs> at this. I was at this pharmacy when I had the pneumonia, and there was this little old dude ahead of me, and I was. It was so sad, and uh, he had eight different medications. There was nobody with him. He was like 88 years old, with walking with a walker, right? No friends, no people, no nobody helping him. And he's got all these prescriptions, and he's trying to figure out the the prescription system through the hospital pharmacy, right? And what he has to pay, and what's the copay, and what what isn't covered, and what is covered. And it was just so complicated. And this poor old guy, you know, guy that's not long for this world, has got to sit there and go through this bureaucratic nonsense for. The medicines that probably half of me doesn't need. Uh, I, that's my guess. Half of me probably doesn't need. That's the little ugly, dirty secret of American healthcare, right? Right. Or they're treating side effects from the ones that he does Maybe. Because <laughs> those all like uh, that was part of that thing in 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 that uh, that other movie. That's like Lipitor causes uh, Lipitor causes erectile dysfunction. So when you take your cholesterol you management, need to, you need to take Viagra, and they're both made by the same company. So Cialis. It's good. Isn't good Cialis stuff. one that gives you a heart on any time you want? I, Why I, would you be on the Viagra if the other thing just works all the time in, in case you need it? Isn't that the commercial? I mean, I've never taken it, thank God. I'm 56. I'm still functioning pretty well. Well, good for you. But... but the the Cialis one is once you take it once a day and then anytime you need to do that it works. I don't know. I don't think you take both. Mike, let's check with Mike. <laughs> hey, Mike, <laughs> do you know the difference? Well, I'm between... bummed. <laughs> I'm bummed that I got sober before I could try like you know psychedelics uh, um, combined with Viagra and alcohol. <laughs> and... <laughs> How about like some a, meth and Viagra? Crush yeah, up some Viagra like and fabulous. meth. I'll bet you people do that. Hey, if you've ever crushed up Viagra and mixed it with meth and snorted it, will you please email into us and tell you our ex yeah, your experience? Gotta, tell us your experience. That. Yeah, that <laughs> Mike. We're just living through you. Please <laughs> yeah. call that in or <laughs> let us know how that is. You know that Dopey podcast has all the drug stories. I'm gonna t I'm gonna text those guys and say, hey, ask for a Viagra meth thing because can you imagine Viagra and meth? What? 
what kind of destruction can happen from that? <laughs> yeah, Viagra, <laughs> meth, and some fentanyl in there. You'd be flying, wow. man. Would you? Uh, you might not know which way I, I, I is think you're I'd be dead. going. I think I'd be dead. I don't think I'd last very long on that. So I did this lecture the other uh, a week ago. I kind of bombed. It was weird. I, you know, sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm not so good. But I did stumble across something that's really interesting. It's no longer a shaming thing to be gay in America. It's not. Okay. It's gay pride. Gay, gay has come a long way since when I was growing up. It's a right? good time to be gay. And in yeah. our in our last ten years, and certainly in the last five, transgender has now joined in out of the darkness into the light of acceptance. Mm. Right. Um, obviously the civil rights movement in the early sixties and, and, and Cesar Chavez movement with the immigrants here in Los Angeles and, and California. So all these groups that were shamed uh, going even a hundred years back to the Irish who were called harps, by the way, which was the same as the N word, right? So all these groups of people or, or categories of lifestyle, however you want to frame it, I don't know the political correct word, <coughs> come out of shame and darkness and embarrassment or hidden into the light and join the society and they are accepted by 90% of the society. There's the fringe whack jobs that don't. Hmm. But for some reason, addicts don't. The addict, addicts are ashamed of being addicts there's still a stigma to being an addict. I'm a drug addict and I am proud. Drug addicts are way cooler than normal people. <laughs> no, no fucking doubt about it. Let me list the drug addicts for you and you tell me you don't want to be a part of this group. How about Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, uh, Baudelaire, uh, Charles Bukowski, Raymond Chandler, um, uh, 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 you know, Hunter S. Thompson, Winston Churchill, um, just go on and on and on. The great alcoholics and drug addicts of history, John F. Kennedy getting morphine shots in his back, Hank Williams. Why is there so much shame about being a drug addict when that those types of caliber of human beings were drug addicts? Can anybody answer that for me? I've never been ashamed of it. There's a real huge stigma and shame to it still. There is, and I, I, don't, I don't know why. It's one of the few illnesses where there is. And there it's was, not an illness. It's just a, it's a lifestyle. Let's call it a lifestyle instead of an illness. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you call it. It's, well, there's they still call, shame They attached. called being gay, gay an illness for 70 years. Now they don't. So let's assume that maybe we're just unenlightened and 30, 40, 50 years from now, they're going to say, no, 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 alcoholism isn't an illness, it's a lifestyle, or it's a, a genetic predisposition, or it's something <coughs> different. Let's not, let's, not, let's not label it. Okay. Let's just say, listen, Jimi Hendrix was a drug addict, Jimmy Page was a drug addict. It, it made me think being a drug addict is fucking cool. Right, I didn't. I didn't think there was anything negative about it when I started it. I thought it was what the cool kids were doing. I thought it was what, what what my heroes were doing. I thought it was the cool thing when when we had our first band when I was like twelve and Eric was thirteen. We got we drank near beer 
and made fake cigarettes to pretend to smoke. That was like was a month before we started smoking because that's what we were going to do. We were going to drink near beer, we're going to play music, and we're going to smoke fake cigarettes. And then we thought, well, let's get some real cigarettes. So why is being a drug addict or an alcoholic, why is it so negative now? Because I grew up, and Mike saying it right there, it wasn't a negative. It was a lifestyle choice. That's what I am. Darby Crash, Keith Richards, fucking, you know, Jim Carroll... Sid Vicious, sign me fucking up. (laughs) Heroin users like us, or actually heroin use the way we did it, is going to go away. I mean, they're doing carfentanil, which is an animal tranquilizer that can be, instead of kilos, you can smuggle it in in micrograms, you know? And it's uh, it's going to go away. Heroin's not going to be the problem in the future. So people do, I've asked the addicts that I'm dealing with, that I was dealing with in Temecula, and, 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 you know, last two, three years since the fentanyl thing. Fentanyl, they do shoot up like regular dope. They can. It's They can. This is why they're overdosing, though. No, but the car fentanyl, you can't. You'll die immediately, right? So they're just, what are they doing? Just touching their finger on it and rubbing it in their gums? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How, this. how do you epidemic. take car fentanyl? In North Carolina, there's there's an epidemic of this car fentanyl. A, a friend of mine who just got back in to the program, he's got a giant, he's got a nasty abscess on his arm because... His okay, this is but he's not shooting car fentanyl. Well, nobody this, can do that. This is what live. this is what he told me, and this is what I thought was bizarre. Is he thought he, he so he went back out for like four months, right? And we don't need to know the details. Get to the car fentanyl shooting. Okay, he said what he was shooting was not heroin, but it was something cooked with a a uh, they um you put it in a spoon and cooked it. No, no, that was they reduce Coca Cola. Because it makes like a molasses, yeah. Then they mix that Coca-Cola molasses with with, with some sort of drug that gives an opiate-like effect that he was shooting that causes almost instant abscesses because of all the sugar and all the crap from the Coca-Cola. He's got holes all over his arms that are just nasty. I love how how dope addicts are just like, yeah, let's just mix this shit together, mix, put some yeah. Coca Cola in there, and, and I, boil I said, it he down. Goes, he goes, yeah, they, he goes, they're using Coke. And let's I go, just fantasize how that happened because I was around Frenchie's house for four and a half years straight. We would come up with some crazy shit sitting around there. You're talking about twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year. So me, Martin, a couple other people would come up with some crazy shit. Somebody had to have a Coca Cola on the table. Pour some in a spoon and just sit there with a the lighter and see what happened. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> right. You got to use your imagination, man. Hey, if that big baggie of cocaine or heroin gets wet, you got to roll it up in a ball and put it in your ass. <laughs> so me and Martin one time got arrested in Malibu when he was still rolling. And Malibu? I had a balloon. I had a balloon, right? And he was driving, so I knew he was the one in trouble. So right, I just absolutely. held the balloon in my in my mouth while and they told me to step out of the car i saw him getting arrested i'm like holy shit um and i thought they were gonna come and tell me to get out of the car and walk away but they asked for my id and i had a warrant right so they arrest me but still it's just one guy he's being cool he goes i don't even i don't even know because it was just some petty fucking warrant and he was saying we're taking you to lost hills jail i think they'll or you out of out of there because they're not gonna they're not going to bring you downtown for this. And I was like, well, why do you have to even arrest me at all? 
And he goes, I have to. <laughs> no, no you know, don't. I was already in handcuffs in the back of his car. And I was saying, oh, why do you have to do this at Come all? Come on, man. <laughs> Be cool. So they drive me, and that's what happened. So I get to Lost Hills Jail. Martin is in another cell because he's got serious shit. I'm in this, like, flunky alcohol, you know, the, alco- the drunk, drunk tank. Drunk yeah. tank yeah. And I still got the balloon in my mouth. And I'm thinking, I bet you I could just put it in my bloody stump. So I went over in the corner, you know, and I knew where the camera was, and I just pulled it out, and I was acting like I had something in my mouth, and, you know, something that was caught in my gums or something. And I opened the balloon really fast, took the thing, put it down in where my gum was bleeding, just pushed the dope straight down the plastic thing, nice. pulled the plastic off, and flushed the balloon and the plastic thing down the toilet, right? I never been so high. I never <laughs> been so high, Mike Mart. The absorption into your direct bloody gum of a $20 bag of dope was so good. I sat there. They said, okay, we're going to release you. And I was like, I'm cool. I'm cool here. (laughs) I'm cool, bro. I'm cool, bro. When's, when's breakfast? <laughs> yeah. hey, you guys got anything other than Channel 5 in here? <laughs> it was the craziest thing. So then that's when I... And so I've just always shorthand things that I think drug addicts are doing. When I hear this car fentanyl is so dangerous, I'm thinking, they just put a little just bit on their gums. Your tooth, yeah. Like the cocaine that you used to do, right? Just a little teeny bit. But we need to know, Mike. We need to become informed about drug use of car fentanyl. If you could know by next podcast, that would be great. There... I mean, I'm reading an article, and and it's and it's going to be the drug of the future because it's so potent. It they're going to figure out how to smuggle it. And no, it's car fentanyl is so easy to make. You can make it for three thousand dollars apparently, and transfer that to fifty thousand dollars. I know economics. When you can spend three thousand dollars and make fifty thousand dollars, people are going to do that. Drug dealers are just jumping on that. People right are going to do that. Right. So right, right. they're not smuggling heroin so, anymore. You know, no. and this gets back to the don't die theme. Uh, somehow, there's no way you can shoot car fentanyl. There just seems like there's no way you could do that and not die. Well, you know what? It's weird because it's like what Mike said when they talk about microdoses. The microdoses, you're. You're using so little mixed with so much but other how, stuff. You're high, you're on the run, you got no place to live. How are you keeping track of what a microdose is? No, it's it no, it's when supposedly when they're cutting it, but you don't know. It's, I didn't I tell you about the guy that uh, who was telling me how his neighborhood they would they take care of people that put fentanyl into the dope. They take care of them. They take care of the people that put they they in Santa they, Ana, they disappear people in, Santa in, in Anaheim actually. Anaheim. In Anaheim he's right like, on. you know what? He That's, goes, he goes, if that's, people get caught putting that fentanyl in, into the dope, he goes, that we, we disappear them. That's, well, yeah. <laughs> Good no. for you. Well, in the, in the old days, when I was copping on Bonnie Bray, you know, I, I was such a loyal, good customer that everyone liked me. If somebody ripped me off, I would, I would go, I, you know, I'd be driving home and I'd get ripped off. I'd go back to the corner and tell some of the regular guys, like, this one dude, and they'd ask me to describe him, they would take care of that guy. Because that guy's ruining their corner. Right. Right? Selling right. shit dope. Well, this Same is what, thing with this the fentanyl. That's what, that's what this guy was saying. He said, you know, what? once you have one or two people die that are regulars, that are locals, that are making people money, 
you know, over long term, you know, you can't have those people doing it. And you don't have to hurt a lot of people or disappear a lot of people, I guess, before people no, catch on. Yeah. I don't know that you got to <laughs> kill them. You can just beat them up. I mean, I saw a couple guys get beat up on Bonnie Bray that had sold me bunk dope by the real dope dealers. You know what I mean? And usually it's just a desperate junkie that's living on the streets that's trying to get 20 for himself and rips you off. And such a sad little desperate world. But, you know, I just... I, I, I started this with gratitude. I'll end it with gratitude. I'm thankful that I get to be around all this shit. I love it. I love talking to drug addicts who are using, trying to get sober. I love talking to the, the dealers who are, who are trying to regulate like you're talking about. You got a little sparkle in your eye when you talked about I know. I, got, I did get a little excited. Right? Yeah. yeah I remember. So I had this one dude. This I'll leave you with this. This drug dealer named Weto. He was an albino Mexican guy. His name is Weto. And he was the middleman runner of Bonnie Bray. And somehow he got attached to me. He liked me. I could go directly to his house eventually. And I'd just hang out with him. Right? He's a good guy. And he liked Thelonious Monster. What are the odds? What are the odds of that? Because <laughs> I gave him a CD and he liked it. So he was in federal prison, right? He calls me collect. This is long before I get sober. This is like in 92, 93. He calls me and he holds up the phone. And he goes, Robert, listen to this. And he and they had K-Rock on and, and Blood is Thicker Than Water, the song I was playing in nice. the federal jail. And he was so excited. He called me. And I go, I heard you got locked up. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'll be gone for like 10 or 15 years, but I'll be back. And I was like, oh, <laughs> God, my God. What a great he attitude. he's such a good guy. And that's why when you demonize drug addicts and you're ashamed of being a drug addict and you demonize drug dealers, I've met a lot. <laughs> I've met thousands of great, soulful, wonderful, deep, rich, compassionate, loving drug addicts. And I've also met you know, I hate to say it, I've met really cool drug dealers. Frenchie was my drug dealer for years. There's no one I respect more. There's no one I care about more. He's the other guy that I asked to go to the basketball game last night with me and Elijah. I texted Frenchie because I know he likes the Clippers, and he goes, oh, I'm working. I can't go. He was my drug dealer. I love the, the he guy. Was the, he was the fucking heroin dealer in the movie. He was the fucking heroin dealer. <laughs> Flea called him that. I, like, <laughs> yep. he's, he's that was Frenchie. such a cool thing to see. Frenchie fucking heroin dealer <laughs> under his name in the movie it says that under his name i'm not but, being rude you know so this whole demonizing of drug dealers and yeah there's bad drug dealers there's bad drug addicts there's bad regular people there's bad everything but there's also really good people and i just want to get rid of the stigma i'm a drug addict i'm grateful i'm a drug addict i'm proud that i'm a drug addict being a drug addict has led me to a deep and rich understanding of the human condition it's taught me how to be more loving and understanding to people. It's taught me how to be a better parent. Being a drug addict is not something to be ashamed of. It's something to get on the other side of. That's the truth of it. When you get on the other side of it, everything that you experience can come in useful. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it, people. Well said. Well said. See you next time. Play the song, Mike. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. <laughs>